Hello, hello. Hello. There we go. It works. <laughs> kind of does. I've had a few. I've had a few issues with the Facebook um, like calling last few days. So. Um, how are you doing, man? Hello, my name is Steve Joel, and this series of podcasts is a chance to hear from the people who've changed the way we do Warhammer. Whether it's painting or playing or collecting, reading or consuming content, I want you to meet the game changers. So your day job is you're a butcher? I am now. I used to be a teacher. And Definitely. did you have to retrain? Sorry, we can do all this later, but I'm interested in. in no, 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 in... no, no, no. I mean, I didn't, re- I didn't retrain. So, I mean, essentially, being a butcher, I'm not, I'm not butchering carcasses. I'm preparing meats, whatever spices, whatever you need to do. Maybe you have to obviously cut the meat in certain ways. Right, right. So it's, it's just sort of meat production. But butcher sounds better. Butcher sounds so better, it's... and it's, a, I feel like it's a great 40k name too, like Neil the Butcher Kerr. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In this episode, we meet Neil Kerr, and we're going to hear a lot of stories that feature beer for a start. We also find out how 40K saved Neil's life, and how he and some friends changed the way tournaments are enjoyed in the UK, just by shouting, flame on. It's a fun conversation. By the way, you can't hear me breathing. I sometimes breathe too heavily when I'm on the on-calls. Um, okay. Well, I'll let you know. I, th- I haven't noticed yeah. it being a thing, but um, no worries. We'll I fine. get complained that on my podcast, people are like Neil, are you breathing? It's like, oh. <laughs> well, the thing is, that only counts like in the background, right? When other people are, yeah. And there won't be much. It's just you and me, man. So you're going to do most of the talking. So cool. here we go. Here we go. This episode is supported by the Frontline Gaming Network. They are having a huge sale in their eBay store. You should especially look up the pre-owned models. Some fully painted, some assembled, some still in the box, shrink-wrapped and waiting for you. Check out the Frontline Gaming store on eBay. The link to that store is in our show notes, along with the links to all of the other elements that you're going to find interesting in this podcast. Now... Let's get to Sweden. My guest today has been a part of the Scottish team. He's been part of the ETC as a player and as a chief judge. On Twitter, which he gave up bothering with in 2012, he described himself as part geek, part rugby. He's gone by several names. One of those was Scuzzlebum, and he's best known still as the chief judge at the WTC, Neil Kerr. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Steve. You know, I didn't even remember I had a Twitter account back in 2012. <laughs> well, so that's, um, your investigative journalism is highly impressive, to say the least. Well, well, I want to ask you about Scuzzlebum. What was that all about? Oh, God, that was back when I was like a, a young teenager. Um, basically, I was like 13. I was the I was the first person in my year to start you know, growing facial hair, and I'd send on these big bushy sideburns. Uh, we're talking 1995, Liam Gallagher, Oasis, right, right, man. Right, right, right. Um, so I had big bushy sideburns, and it was like you know you look like such a scuzz, you look like such a bum, and I put the two together. Right. And that was like my you know trendy, cool hotmail uh, email uh, address. Right, right. 
Yeah, I, I kept holding. I kept holding for far too many years, and I should have really. Scuzzlebum had a Twitter account for about five minutes, and then, but also yeah. you, you had a blog going for a bit. Scuzzlebum on Blogger or Blogspot or something, which yeah, was a forty k thing. Couple. I had a couple of blogs. I actually did two blogs. I did was it Scuzzlebum Scuttlebutt, but which was the first blog, and that ran for a while. Um, but then I got in, but I basically went to sort of study at uni, um, study history and teaching. So I sort of ran out of time. So as for blogs, you know, if they fall off the side, if you can't sort of keep up with them regularly. Yeah, yeah. And then I tried, and then I sort of like thought about, I sort of like, well, oh, you know, I'll resurrect it. And I did another blog called Tyranny Pink or Pink Tyranids because I was, that was an army I was very famous for. Right. You know, Alex, Alex Fennell, my buddy Alex, isn't the only person who was known back then for having pink armies. Right, right. Um, and that ran for a while, but then I moved to Sweden and, you know, being in Sweden, definitely preoccupied my time too much. Okay. Well, it's, well we, we will definitely get to Sweden because uh, as much as my investigative journalism turned up a few gems, I still couldn't find the why. So we'll ask that soon. But before we get into all of that and before we get to 40K, being a New Zealander, I, I noticed the word rugby come up a couple of times. Tell me about your, your rugby playing days. Oh, um, gosh. So basically I was the biggest kid at, in my year in terms of like heights and whatnot when I was like 11 years old. So I went to high school and it was like, basically the sports teacher would look at me and said, you play rugby? <laughs> no, sir. You're going to play rugby now. now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah, I was in this quite competitive school. I played rugby four, So I was in the school first. We actually one year went all the way to what was back then called the Daily Mail Cup, which was the highest level of schools rugby in uh, the UK. We went to the finals, and, which is pretty awesome. And so I just sort of played. So as a kid, I played a lot of rugby. Yeah. Um, and when I moved to Sweden when I was 16, the first time round, uh, my father is a military engineer. He does um, avionics engineers for British Aerospace, so designs jet fighters, basically. So I came over here, played some more rugby here, which was interesting because the, the standard was much lower. Yeah, it was yeah. much more fun. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, just sort of, I think I sort of kept up on and off when I was in my 20s. I played a little bit of rugby in Manchester. Um, when I went to uni at York. I played uh, rugby there as well. And this just been something I always kept in my life, you know. Eventually, I sort of had a back injury, which forced me to stop, you know, propping for 15 years. Yeah, you know, takes its takes its toll. Yeah. So I transitioned to uh, coaching and refereeing. So I spent, you know, six years, seven years coaching the uh, local youth team. We even there uh, took the, even took the team to the Swedish uh, youth championships and won gold. Wow. Um, the last year, which was very very cool. Yeah. And then sort of like also refereeing because. Um, so again, Swedish rugby is not the highest standard in the universe. So coming, from, as, but it's full of lots of expats, and we all get very angry when the referees make the wrong calls. And I was one of the people who got very, very angry. So someone just said to me, "Well, bloody referee yourself, then if you can do better." <laughs> so, so, so I did. I feel like there's some 40k <laughs> crossover happening here now too. So oh, very much. <laughs> I, I want to explain to our uh, American audience because the Australians and the UK folk and. Maybe some Europeans will understand what we're talking about, but possibly a lot of Europeans and Americans won't. Rugby is a bit like American football, but with no pads. And if Neil was a prop, that means he had to uh, smash into other giant guys in a thing called a scrum and, and hold a platform there. And there's so much on your neck and your back when you're doing that. Um, yeah. And obviously, as a New Zealander coming from the greatest rugby nation in the world, Rubbing it I in. will not question. I will not question <laughs> that. But this is not what that's about. 
Let's no. let's get into 40k. I one of the things that turned up for me was a white dwarf interview back in 2007 about something oh. called Flame On. Uh, was yes. that was that your first brush with 40k fame? I've, being published in White Dwarf is not something very many people achieve in their lifetimes. No, I'd had a, I'd had my photo in White Dwarf a few times. It was kind of random. Here's a shot of a tournament, or here's a shot of Warhammer World. Um, but that was the first sort of brush. It was an it's an interesting story. I mean, so I, I played I played four K since first edition. Uh, so I'm old enough to have done that. Right. And I got into competitive 40k in second edition just before the old the first Chaos uh, Chaos Between Codex ever dropped. And so I played 40k until sort of like 15, 16, then you know dropped off as most people do. In teenage years, rugby got more interest in beers and girls as well. And then I came back into it in my 20s when I sort of left home, had a job, and was looking for a hobby. And that was I think that was around the time sort of third, fourth ed. And it was like, oh, I want to, I want to go to tournaments. And it was like, you know, me and a few guys in the local area, Manchester. Like, yeah, this would be good fun. Oh, it'd be good fun to go as a team. You know, have a little club, like call ourselves something. It'd be fun. And we've been to a couple of local events, and there was a big team at the time called the Northern Wasters, who were very, very serious. And actually, people back in the day will, will agree with me. Not very nice guys to play against. They were incredibly clicky. Not very nice. It was just not pleasant people to play with in general right. so we were like right we have we have to be the opposite let's just we want to go and have fun and we're going to be the opposite of these guys so we went there bright red shirts and we're just very obnoxiously loud <laughs> like we'd all shout flame on the top of our voices and the first <laughs> dice roll for the game together you know any like really big dice roll, we'd all shout it was maybe we, we, you know we're grown men playing with man dollies let's not take it too seriously right. and we did this as like an active way to kind of break down the overly seriousness of like tournaments at the time you know we do this we'd also like you know offer our opponents drinks like oh good game mate we're not losing go to the go for the bar for a pint afterwards have a drink and stuff and and all this just sort of suddenly spiraled out of control from a couple of lads in manchester so we had like you know everybody most of the gamers in manchester sort of fell into our club and then Suddenly, more and more people from outside of the area started gravitating to us. We had like you know guys in Birmingham wearing flame on shirts. Guys like all over the UK started like getting part. It's just this. It's like an idea, just like be part of this kind of group, this movement. And one of the people who got who really liked it was Owen Reese, the old White Dwarf editor. Right. Because um, his one of his best mates, Jonathan. Quite, quite hooked up with us and then he got Owen involved and Owen was like, "Oh, this would be amazing. You have to. Have, like, you guys are absolutely. You guys are great. You guys are exactly what." tournaments and the hobby is about it's a massive amount of positivity you've got guys who win the win the gts you've got guys who come last and none of you care and all you just hang out it's great fun so he did the article basically yeah and if you've seen as you've probably seen the photo of the article it's a bit controversial because you've got guys it's a photo in white dwarf of like 20 people holding pints of beer and bottles of beer in their hands which is uh definitely not going to happen in today's white dwarf Right, and in well, fact, and in fact, even one of the guys in the photo is underage. Okay, well, that definitely <laughs> wouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like very yeah. interesting, but uh, but it was just you know we just had a lot of fun and people just enjoyed you know at first people thought we were a bit over the top and they kind of realised what we were doing and why and just everyone sort of gravitated to it, and it sort of kickstarted a really interesting time in, in um, sort of tournament play competitive play in the UK because you suddenly had like other teams springing up um, like the Dudley Boys like the Spiky Club who kind of like wanted to vie to be the better team than us and we ended up like a little team like little like like playoffs and stuff between the teams and team challenges the night before a big tournament and stuff it was great fun and do you know what that 
that kind of flowed over. I found another article from several years later, I want to say 2010, 2011, written mm. by a guy who had been out of the tournament scene and then came back and was really surprised to see uh, the attitude of the of the players at the tournament in that it was friendly and it was fun. And he credited you specifically, top players in general, but you specifically with engendering that kind of attitude at tournaments, which must have been a big deal then. Yeah, I mean, when we got into tournaments, it wasn't, it was very clicky. It was everyone kind of played the games and drifted off and no one was really, it didn't feel as much fun as it could be. And myself, another guy who sort of started as how Richard Hogan was a big rugby guy, we just like, said, well, look, we're going to kind of treat this like a bit of a rugby team in terms of, like, you know, rugby team on a social. Yeah, and just get people involved and have fun. And we were like, we were having, we were stood in Buckingham's Bar having like drinking games with like random people and stuff. And it just became this huge thing. And like, and it very, and it sounds very braggy, but it did sort of change the tone of the UK scene. And it became this kind of very inclusive thing where everyone, everyone's going to have a drink together, everyone's hang out together afterwards. People wouldn't drift off to the hotels. People would stay in the bar or like a bar near the venue or something. You have 30 people going to a pub for food afterwards. And it became really, really good. It became this like great sort of thing to be part of. And it attracts more and more people because obviously people who play this game are basically, you're looking for social interaction. So you see like, you know, half the tournament, they're all like laughing and joking together and having yeah. drinks. And one of those, you play one of those guys and he says to you afterwards, hey, do you want a pint? You're going to say yes. And so that you become part of this. And it was great. I get a feeling from you that there's just a you're, – you're a kind of guy, and it's happened in rugby in Sweden, you're the kind of guy that always ends up being the organiser. You, you always end up kind of uh, falling into that role of organising teams and organising events. And it happened in 40K almost kind of since before you could walk. You've had a passion for organising 40K events. Yeah, it's just, you know, if you if you want something doing, do it yourself. That kind of attitude, you know. Yeah. Um I wanted to, I wanted to run tour I wanted you know, we were like to me you know, to make tournaments. Oh chef more tournaments. Well I'll I'll organise one. You know, oh we well, why don't we have a tournament of like where you play just thousand point games? I'll organise one of those. You know, just these ideas and saying, Oh, I wish somebody'd do this. So I was like, Well I'll I'll do it. Yeah. And that's just kind of always been my attitude, really. So you organised the UK G T in two thousand and ten. And then, yeah. uh, and then you went off to Sweden. But I want to talk about the UK GT or just organ- organising events of that scale all the way yeah. back then. Um, mm. Tell me about that. What was that like? So for, for quite a few years, I the first ones I sort of really organised was a thing called Botch Battle of the Chumps, which is a great name for a tournament. Right. <laughs> and that was a flame. That was a flame on event. It was a flame on, and we started off with sort of like sixteen guys one day down in Sheffield at the old Battle Bunker, and it was a case of you know this is good fun, and each year it got bigger and bigger and bigger, and we eventually ended up in Warhammer World. We took you know, filling the entirety of Warhammer World this tournament, which wasn't just forty k. It was forty k fantasy blood balls being played, the epic. It was like all all games. It was, it was like a mini convention. Right. which didn't really exist in the UK at that time. You know, there was only one of a multi-system tournament, and that was run by the first company veterans, the actual Warhammer World Gaming Club. They ran a they ran their own multi-system thing as well. And that was lots of fun. And this was back when GW had their Throne of Schools GTs, so quite you know, serious. They were seen as the serious tournaments in the UK. There was heats to qualify for the final. It was you know, people from all over the world would come. You know, the, the, the top the, the players who won the tournaments in America Got got their part of their prize was flights to the UK. You had like the top players in Italy, in Spain, and France. They'd all come to the final as well. So that was very hardcore. And then GW sort of 
within their business they'd obviously just, for whatever reason they decided oh we don't want to do this we don't want to go with competitive gaming at this level anymore so they completely canned all those tournaments and they also said there were no non-gw tournaments in Warhammer world anymore right. so suddenly the community had gone from having this like great series of tournaments is like high level tournaments to puff they're gone and you know the usual thing is oh what we're going to do now and BV me was like oh we'll just organize our own thing then <laughs> so so we did the so the idea was it was the uk independent gt and we just i just got in touch with all the guys i knew all the clubs all the different gaming groups around the country who ran tournaments we all knew each other by this point it's like who wants to get involved with me and i had people from all the country say oh, i can do this i can help you with that I'll, i want to do this and yeah we ran the first event in maelstrom games and i think we had the capacity of maelstrom games is like 100 people and we had like over 100 and only 120 people show up um because even because even the owner maelstrom games like oh we sell more tickets sell more tickets when he was like actually they were building tables for us and they're like talking about you can put a tent in the car park and stuff <laughs> to get more players and it was just phenomenal it's just like this is a real indication of how pop of how big competitive gaming came in the uk that this this event on its first time out i think it sold out in half an hour wow i was just like bam done and it was absolutely amazing um and that sort of really kicked off the idea that hey you know you don't we don't just have to rely on gw to the big events tell me about being part of team scotland did that come before all of that um so it came sort of it came before the ukgt it came so the etc the first time 40k was at the etc was in 2007 and um, back then there was a team england which was basically a bunch of a bunch of my friends from manchester had did seen the guy called dave minnes had seen about had read about this uh, etc idea on the warhammer forum and he said oh this sounds like great fun so he basically put a post up saying who wants to come and the most of the majority of people like you know, locals in Manchester, a couple of other guys like Gus O'Connor, uh, an absolute legend of the game, who for leads, he came along. And it was a case of, who wants to go to Poland and play 40k and drink beers for a weekend? And that's what they did. I, at the time, I was between jobs, so I couldn't go with them. But you had people like Gaz Jones, who you know, has been to every ETC. He's the current Team Wales captain. Um, you had a guy called Chris Webb, who's from Ninja Bread fame. He's paints for GW, he paints for Mantic and stuff. You know, there's quite a few guys, but we'll say not many serious tournament players. So they went there, they had fun, they spent the whole weekend drinking, and they came 11th out of 10 teams. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Slovenians did so badly, on the, the, the Slovenians did so badly on the Saturday, they left. And still the English came below them after playing an extra day. But they didn't care. It was fun. And that started it. And so the next year, you know, got there was a team pulled together and such like. And in 2009, that was, the, you know, we tried uh, tried to get a Scottish team, couldn't get enough people. And I was asking, I want to play for Team England. Because like, yeah, I'll come along. So I went to Germany, played the ETC, went in England top, got a lot of shit from my family for that. Um <laughs> But it was good fun, and I was like, "Yeah, this is this is amazing. This tournament is absolutely amazing. There's, you know, going to Europe and playing against all these European teams, and you know, swapping drinks and everything after the games, having a laugh. You know, everyone was, it was in an ice hockey hall. Everyone was sleeping in the ice hockey hall together. So the next year, managed to together with a guy called Tim King, who another another sort of old legend of the uh, UK community, we managed to get enough guys together who were you know Scottish heritage or good to claim scottish territory like the grandparents to bring a team scotland over um so that was in 2010 that was the first time team scotland came wow 
it was great fun. We didn't do very well. We won, but we did get most sporting team, and I did win the best painted army. So we did quite well on the trophy front, wow. if you count those. And was, I just had a blast. Yeah, and that's that seems to have been certainly what it was about in the early years, uh, and and probably it still is. Although there there definitely now seems to be more of a uh, a serious competitive element to it, and and definite bragging rights, you know, for teams oh, that do well. I mean, even back then it was serious, but it was. I mean, very much a generational thing, you know. Most people were, would say, my age. So it was basically ETC was populated by, you know, 20 to 25-year-olds. That was the majority of the players. Young lads, a lot of them students, you know, congregating in Europe to drink beers and play 40K. So it was, people still took it seriously, but it has become much much more serious as an event, as the event's grown over the years. You know, now you have, you know, teams aren't staying up till 4am every single night partying together and stuff. They only do that on the Sunday night after the tournament's ended. <laughs> and is that is that partly because those guys who were going, who were in there, who were 25 then, are now 35 or whatever, maybe even older. And, and so the tournament, they've grown with the tournament. And so now, you know, they're a bit more mature and they've got kids and they've gone back and they're taking it more seriously. A little bit, yeah. And you know, there's still lots of new players coming in all the time, but it has just become more serious. At the end of the day, you're investing um, for the guys who are very competitive. They are. It's not just the cost of going to the WTC or the ETC. You know, that's, that's a week in somewhere in Europe. That's hotels for a week, flights, all these things. It's not just that cost. It's the army, which might be a very unique and specific army for that event. And then it's the it's the amount of time you invest into it. You know, a lot of the top teams, like, you know, like Team England, Poland, you know, America, a lot of these teams, those players will lock in their lists very early, their armies, and they'll spend all year practicing. They'll be mm. going to as many tournaments as possible. They'll be having practice weekends multiple times throughout the year where they're just repping, repping, repping. You know, before the event, like a month before the event happens, all the teams send their lists in. And then those top teams, they'll be looking at every single list that, that every team is playing. And they'll be going, right, how do we beat that one? Let's rep it. Let's rep, 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 play, play, play. And that, that's that huge time investment, mm. you know, that they put into it means that they want results. They are going to take it more seriously as a result. And uh, it's become so much more international, which I, we can get to later on. Um, maybe we'll we'll come back to the WTC as it is now, because that's a whole nother conversation. In the meantime, let's let's go back to Neil Kerr, you know, and the and the the progress of your life, because at around about yeah. then you've organised the UK GT twenty ten. Uh, 2011, you hand over the reins to someone else because you've got to go to Sweden. So why Sweden? So I, as I alluded to earlier, I actually moved, came to Sweden when I was 16 the first time. I, was, I went to uh, college or well, in Swedish gymnasium. So 16 to 19, I was in Sweden because my dad is works for British Aero, Aerospace. He's a you know, jet fighter engineer. Right. And so I'd lived in Sweden for, for three years, made a lot of friends, had a lot of fun. And I come back to the UK and moved away from home, moved to Manchester. And then basically a girl, I, a friend of mine, from Sweden, she moved over. We ended up getting together, and we've been together for years and years and years. And you know, yeah. And then we sort of decided after a while being in the UK, and we just thought, so, you know, it's not. We're not entirely happy living here. You know, the amount we work, how little we get paid. You know, the quality of living is lower um, than a lot of other places, including Sweden. So we made the decision to move to to sort of move back. Yeah. So she moved a year before me because she was going to do a masters, and this is a very special masters that only happened every sort of every year. And I was, you know, and I was like, I'm going to finish my degree, um, and I'll move the year after. So in 2012, I finished my degree, sort of spent the summer at home with my parents, sort of 
you know dealing with all my stuff selling everything that i needed <laughs> to sell because no because end of the day there's no it costs so much to ship stuff it was a bit easy just to sell things i actually found and a then, um, i found a post online where you're selling all camis and everything else just getting oh, rid of stuff I, to get out I sold all my armies except the army I was going to run at the ETC that that year. I sold, you know, all my furniture, everything. Just was it was actually quite therapeutic, you know. Just literally, yeah. I went from having a for three bedroom, semi detached house to having three suitcases, a couple of like uh, moving boxes. Yeah, I, yeah, I just yeah. just going through, just going, like, you know, do I need all these books? I've got hundreds and hundreds of books. No, I'll give them away to my old high school. Yeah. Um, you know, just just went through everything, just sold everything. You, know, you, you accumulate so much junk in your life. Um, so got rid of it all. And then came to Sweden. And then two weeks later, uh, the girl I'd been with for you know, nearly 10 years broke up with me. Oh. But, but <laughs> you've, you weren't expecting that. No, but you've <laughs> stayed in Sweden. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd made the decision to move there, not just to be with her, but because I wanted to be here. Right. Because so... it's a nice place. It is. And, you know, it's a nice place to be, nice place to live. I have friends here through even back when I was living there. And I had a lot of friends from the ETC. The yeah. reason, one of the reasons I chose, I ended up being in Gothenburg was because the majority of the ETC, Swedish ETC team, were based in Gothenburg. Yeah. So I ended up, you know, couch surfing for a few months. A lot of the guys, either the rugby guys or the gamer guys, sort of took me under the wings. I was couch surfing until I found my own place. And, you know, and then you can say, what well, is now eight eight and a half years later? I am married. I've got a fantastic wife. I've had my, foot, my birth of our first son uh, seven months ago. So life is great. Life is. It's good. funny how things change. Yeah. Funny how things change. You know, eight years ago when you know I just moved over and this all happened, I was like, oh Christ, what do I do? Do I move back? Do I stay? And you know, silver lining. It's when I look back where I where where I was at that point, where I am now. Yeah, much happier. I feel like that, in a nutshell, is um, the the way mental health needs to be dealt with and that if you can just, you know, people go through tough times and if you can just get the message across to them, look, in a couple of years you'll look back on this and you'll be in a much better spot. But, again, that's not what this conversation is supposed to be about. Yeah, but unfortunately it could easily could be because mental health has been something I've struggled with the vast majority of my life for right. different reasons. Um so yeah, I don't and think you're is, alone it's... in that. In this hobby, I don't. I no. mean, in the wider world as well. But I think probably in this hobby, you know, Winters, uh, Winters and I had a, a chat in a previous episode along similar lines. In this hobby, I think it's a big deal. It is, and you know, I I can say without a doubt that 40k rugby and 40k have saved my life on multiple occasions. Yeah, well, having having that network of people that when it all starts falling down. That they step in and help you and look after you you know no matter where you end up in the world there are people there who care for you but even people you don't know will just you know they'll put their neck out for you because hey you're a rugby player hey you're a 40k player i know i know you know we don't know each other but i know who you are and i want to help you because you know right. we have common values common, you know we share values because as gamers we generally all have the same values yeah I, I found a um, one of your. I know Twitter wasn't up there for very long, but it's a mine of useful information. In that, in 2012, you walked into a bar that you hadn't been into for a long time in Sweden and bumped into an ET. Uh, sorry, yeah, an ETC player, a Swedish guy, and ended up getting drunk yeah. with him at this bar. And I suspect that's yeah. where you ended up couch surfing for a while when you needed to. Yeah. 
I don't know if we need to go too deep into the WTC breaking away from the ETC. I mean, I, I feel like the how and the why has been extensively covered. In fact, if you Google yeah. Neil Kerr 40K, I get about 25 podcasts that you were on within the space of about two months talking about that. So Yeah, and you can probably find about 20 different essays as well. Yeah, there's a, lot, the there's, there's a lot about the why. But I'm yeah. interested now, a year after the fact, looking back, how hard was that whole period of time for you just in terms of the decision-making and, and then the, the fallout and then obviously a lot of support as well. How difficult was that whole period and tumultuous? It was tough. I mean, it's sort of, since 2012, I'd actually been sort of talking about and pushing that maybe 40K should break away. Um, there, there's, been, there's been growing issue. There's been growing issue, for, as you said, if you can find this out, but there's been growing issue for many, many years. Um, so there was always this thing of, you know, I think we should do it. And eventually enough people, enough people within the 40K, you know, with captains from the 40K community, they see, yeah, we should do it. Um, and it, it wasn't easy because, you know, it's like this big event that we've been part of for a very long time. You know, I've been going since 2009, yeah. you know, and I've made so many friends, not just in 40K. I had a lot of friends in the other gaming systems, guys that either were previously 40K players and moved to other games or just people I just met. You know, I can put a big shout out to people like, you know, Woody, who plays uh, Ninth Age for Team Island, an absolute legendary guy, guy I love to bits. And it's like, you know, if we do this, you know, these are people I'm not going to see again. You know, I've got friends of mine, even like old friends in the UK, that would play in, you know, Flames of War or Nine Age of Sigma. And I was like, you know, this was the time because I moved to Sweden. I only got to see them once a year and it was ETC. And it's like, well, this is going to burn bridges. And well, I'm not the only person, you know, there's obviously a lot, most of the 4K community being the silver boat. But, you know, there comes a point where you need to look out for the people you're invested in. And, been quite brutal um I, my time was invested in the 40k community and we you know i knew we could do better tom adriani also knew we could do better and you know it was a case of yeah we, we truly believe this and enough people believe it with us and believe that we could deliver better so we sort of made the decision that it's exactly a year ago in fact mm. uh we're, I mean, we're obviously when this episode goes out it's going out later but we're recording now on what's the 28th of january and this time last year i was in the uk i'd flown back to the uk to play the tournament in manchester uh, hosted by Gaz jones and team wales same weekend as the lvo and we decided yes we're going to make the vote all the caps all the 40 captains says we want to have a vote we want to vote on this and so we put the vote up on the saturday morning and i'm at this tournament and literally within like the vote goes up and within a couple of hours people are saying to me like 40k is leaving the etc and i'm like what like the vote happened that quick because so it's overwhelming it was 90 it was all but two captains all but two teams said yes yeah to leave and it was just this it happened so fast and it was actually really tough because at this at this tournament which was in um element games in stockport the english ninth age team were there and again i mike mike newman one yeah. uh, of my best buddies is on that team and he's like what what just happened like i'm not going to see you and it was tough but it's like you know this is this is what's going to happen and i had you know some very angry phone calls that night from a few people like a few of the um people from the organizing committee of the etc like what have you done how dare you and that and it's like well yeah. it's not you know what have i done this is unfortunately the will of the community of the 40k community it's you know there will be done that's always been the etc's motto you know by the players for players and that was 
the one you know that was in the day that's what the 40k players wanted they just unfortunately got tired of the issues so it, it, it happened so fast and to be fair i had always pushed if we're going to leave we leave the next year because at the time we we're in the middle of an etc cycle you know this was january right. and to go to luxembourg in august you know luxembourg organizers may have made plans in good faith that they're going to have all these players including 40k um so that was the one thing i wasn't expecting was it was leave and leave this year so it's like oh right i've got so we've got seven months to organize the wtc this is going to be interesting yeah <laughs> you know and then so it was a so yeah it was a shock it was like good because i was something i wanted and it's something i expected as well because you know i knew i knew the feelings amongst the community but the suddenness of it and that we're going to do it that year was a bit of a shock and then uh you know all of that happens and then COVID hits so yeah there was genuine excitement about going to austria i'm part of the or was part of the the new zealand team that was expected to go to austria and um you know, making that first ever WTC was going to be super exciting. And for you being involved yeah. in that and organizing it and being the chief judge at it. And, and uh, it just must have been every minute with the other TOs talking through all the possible scenarios. And it, it must have been incredibly challenging minute to absolutely. minute and day to day trying to figure out whether you keep it on or call it off. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like I said, like we had, so we had the vote a year, exactly a year ago. And this was also when, you know, you, you first started to hear like real talk about COVID, you know, cases are hitting Europe. And, you know, I'm getting on a flight flying back to Sweden on the sun, on the Sunday and people are like, oh, you know, this COVID thing. And it's like, yeah, everyone's like, yeah, you know, it, it'll blow over just like swine flu blew over. Obviously, everybody was wrong. Yeah. And so at the time, we were like, at first, that, that initial month, we were like, okay, let's put out let's put out feelers. Who wants to get involved? We got bids through quite quickly and things move very quickly. Uh, and we then started to know, have conversations with people in the WTC community um, who themselves worked in pharmaceuticals or worked as doctors. Um, like for example, one of the Serbian players, he actually is works with one of the uh, pharmaceutical companies, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, every 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 project shut down. The only thing we're now working on is COVID vaccine. This this is for real. This this is the shit kind of thing." Yeah. And so very quickly we realized, yeah, this is this is actually out of control. Um, you know, what do we do? So by this point, we're now talking, we're now hitting sort of Easter time uh, last year. We had a conversation with the Austrians and like, look, all the vibes they're getting from their government is this, this, this is lockdown, it's going to be a long-term thing. Um, and we felt the same. So we talked to the captains and the general said, yeah, it's better just to cancel. So we, so we cancelled last year um, and now we're into 2021 and we're in the same conversation, actually. Yeah. So my next question is, realistically, do you think this will happen this year? Well, if if you asked me a week ago, I would have probably said 50-50, depending on how well the yeah, vaccine rollout happens. Because it's all dependent on can we run a safe event? And to run a safe and can we run an event that's viable in terms of people not being stuck in quarantine either side of coming to the event? Mm. Um, and these kind of things. And so, you know, there was hope there was a lot of positivity, a lot of hope with the you know, the vaccine rollout started and stuff. Yeah. So we so we had a conversation with the Austrians this week about you know what's the situation, how do they feel, um, you know what's the in terms of what's the financial situation, you know do we have deadlines to commit to monetarily? Yeah. So what we so we then talked this through. We talked to the captains, and what we decided is just like last year, we're gonna we're gonna wait till Easter. So Easter's the start of April, so in two months' time, we're gonna sit down with the Austrians with the captains and look how are things looking. 
So very, that's something we can do. It very much is like last year. Wait till wait till like it, just as as long as you can before you make the call. Um, yeah, but but also at the same time, don't don't wait too long because you don't yeah, want to yeah. keep hoping, 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 and then you cancel and people lose money. So we sort of proposed April. Um, the majority of the teams were like, yeah, we're happy with that. I mean, a lot of guys like yourselves, the Australians, the Americans, the Canadians, they're all pretty much saying that they're 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 either already said they're not going to come or they they know they're not likely to come. If I'm being honest, I think that if there is an event this year, it will mo- it will it will absolutely be Europe only. Uh, right. Potentially even the e, potentially even the EU only, depending on what the restrictions are. Yeah. Uh, that's if. Uh, but what we've decided is we will not move. We will most likely not move the event though, in terms of date. Because if, if we start playing, if we go later in the year, there's right. there's lots of other issues there because of people booking holidays. You know, <laughs> being in August is great because it falls in, into everybody's summer holidays in Europe at least. Yeah. And if it so can happen in that week, uh, Tom told me there's a beer festival on at the same time. So that would they be actually a... moved it. It was oh, actually the week before, and they moved it for us. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah. How much, that's how much they want it. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, you know, ho- like keeping tabs on the situation, holding hope that we that, that things will start to turn up, and things there'll be an upward turn in vaccinations. Things start to look positive, but be realistic at the same time that we may be postponing twenty twenty two. Like Easter feels like a good time to sort of say yay or nay. And, uh, and sort of play like that. We know that, uh, you know, COVID's a very fast-moving, uh, quickly changing situation. So by the time – we've had this conversation now. By the time this episode goes to where it may well have changed, and what I'm encouraging people to do is keep an eye on the WTC uh, Facebook page and keep your ear on the WTC Squadcast podcast yeah. um, because, you know, you, you guys will have up-to-date information as the situation changes. If worse comes to worse, it'll be 2022 and we'll just work towards that, you know, yeah. and it'll be and it'll be massive. It'll be awesome. I mean, you guys want to come as a first-time team New Zealand. We've got teams from Japan, Thailand, Vietnam, Israel. I mean, it's, it's becoming a big deal. Actually, quite scary how many teams have not only said they're interested, but like have actually sent us copies of passports to prove they're legitimate teams already. Yeah, you know, so it's super. Like when it happens, be it this year or next year, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be re- truly international. Yeah, I just need to decide what army I'm playing and get some reps in, rather than yeah. constantly changing my mind about things. <laughs> I just like I'll play an army and go, oh, this is crap. I think the main issue is that I'm crap. But anyway. Uh, listen, Neil, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I, I understand that, you know, uh, in, in a COVID environment, in the middle of where you are, things are extremely challenging for a TO when there are no tournaments. And, and you know, with the WTC, just riding that fine line. So I really appreciate you talking to us about it and being so candid with your answers as well. No worries. I might get I might get flack off Tom and Ishit for being too candid, but <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't. Everybody knows who I am, and I, I, I speak my mind and I speak. You know, I, I, I say things as they are. So yeah. Well, and I think yeah. it's great to have someone uh, you know right up the front of the organisation who is like that. So appreciate your time. You are a 40k game changer, and it's uh, been fantastic to talk to you, mate. Yeah, been fantastic having been on as well, Steve. Thanks. My thanks to Neil Kerr. The links to the WTC Squadcast and the WTC Facebook page are in our show notes if you want any updates on what's going on. Make sure you check out the big sale on the pre-loved models on the Frontline Gaming eBay store. A lot of great deals there. If you enjoyed this episode of 40K Game Changers, you can find the full catalogue of amazing conversations at 
40kgamechangers.com. We're also on Facebook if you like the page for the latest updates and maybe leave us a review. Next week on the program, the team from one of the biggest 40k channels and fastest growing 40k content providers on the planet. We talk to 40k Play On Tabletop. Until then, thanks for listening. I'm Steve Joel, and this has been 40K Game Changers.